the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, what's it look like to believe in yourself when others don't? We're going to tell an Olympic story. And then we're joined by Davey Blackburn, founder of Nothing is Wasted Ministries. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Aubrey, happy Friday. Thank you. Happy Friday to you. Yeah, you're you're it's, a, it's an important Friday for you cuz you're getting out of town. Good for you. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, so we will have a good bunch of shows next week, but they will be uh without Aubrey. So we will be waiting waiting It's like your better half will be missing, Brian. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. Let's go with that. So, uh we hope all of you have had a great week. We've had a ton of great interviews through the course of the week, a lot of them at Aubrey was able to do while in grad school over at Wheaton College in the Propel cohort over there. Uh, we Sharon Hottie Miller, and Voskamp, Christine Kane, Esau McCulley. I mean, that's like a who's who, Aubrey, of interviews. Isn't I'm that really amazing? Grateful. I know. It I'm is. so grateful. Aubrey, the other thing that's been going on is the Olympics. We love the Olympics, even if we don't have a ton of time to watch we them. We do love the Olympics. And uh, we've moved from... Uh, Primarily swimming and gymnastics onto the track and field. Which one do you, which one, which part of the Olympics do you enjoy the most? Is oh, just, gymnastics for sure. That's oh, so fun. No, it's the track and field time. I love you. Do track and field. you like yeah, track yeah. and field? You just like watching people run and jump and stuff? Yeah, it, only during the Olympics. You and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Like <laughs> the other you wouldn't watch normally. That's so true. Yeah. The other three years and 49 weeks of my life, if I saw swimming, or gymnastics or track and field on, I'm changing the channel. But the Olympics, I'm like yet chanting USA and standing on my couch. So that is the weird thing. But I, I wanted to talk, Aubrey, about chasing your dream. And Okay, uh, my Olympic dream? Yes, not your particular. Oh, okay, okay. What does it look like when other people tell you, hey, this is a bad idea, right? So it could be the Olympic dream, but maybe it was when you were starting a church and people were like, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a wise idea. So it's a story. Let me tell the story. It's the story of a Canadian Olympian by the main, by the name of Penny Alexiak. Uh, and she's put a message on Twitter. Uh, Penny Alexiak won three medals for Canada at the Olympics in swimming. Uh, and that gives her a total of seven Olympic medals, wow. which is amazing. That's she's impressive. only 21 years That's amazing. old. And she's one of the most decorated Canadian Olympic athletes in history. And so she wrote this. She went to Twitter the other day and wrote this. She said, I just Googled, quote, Canada's most decorated Olympian, and my name came up. I want to <laughs> thank that teacher in high school who told me to stop swimming to focus on school because swimming wouldn't get me anywhere. Oh. This is what dreams are made of. And she went on to say, also in reference to my last tweet, no shade at all towards teachers in general. My te- my sister is a teacher and I see her inspiring kids every day. Most of my teachers saw the vision and pushed me towards it. 
That one who constantly dragged me down, though, mm. worst of all time. Mm. <laughs> wow. So, Aubrey, I would Ouch. love to know just, you know, that I think that's a fascinating story. That's somebody who, to be a, an Olympian, Olymp, uh, Olympic swimmer, you're like training every day. You're getting right. up at four in the yes. morning. You're going crazy. And she obviously had this teacher going, hey, you're not going to make it. Start focusing on your schoolwork. Which might, to some people, have been good advice back in it the day. It might happen for some people. That's true. But this also clearly motivated this swimmer, Penny Alexiak from Canada. Clearly her motivation, if she's tweeting about this right after winning medals, uh, this was motivated her <laughs> She remembered years. this. Certainly it marked her. <laughs> yeah. So take part of this story, whether it's motivation or yeah. it's the idea of chasing your dream yeah. versus when to be practical and give up on your dream. That's all this teacher, it sounds like, was telling her, like, hey, maybe be a little more practical about this. Uh, what what do uh, what can we take away from a story like okay, this? Okay, I think there are two things that initially came to mind for me. One, I'm not sure why the teacher did it in high school. I can understand if the person's like an adult and they clearly aren't a good swimmer. But as a high school student, you don't know what this person can do or can't do. So I don't know what, the, what that high school teacher's deal was. But okay, what I really am inspired by in this story is that Penny could have heard that voice from the teacher and it could, she could have internalized it. She could have um, uh, allowed it to kind of defeat her. And she could have said, you know what? Yeah, maybe I shouldn't swim anymore. Maybe I should focus on my studies. But I love that instead it motivated her to be an Olympic swimmer. Yes. And I feel like that's maybe the call for all of us when someone criticizes us or we have a negative voice in our head or we tend to interpret things negatively and allow it to kind of stop us from our dreams. The other option is instead to let it motivate you to do more and go further. Yeah. And I think there's yeah. something really impressive about that because I tend to care too much what people think. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. Are you more motivated? So you planted a church. You've mm -hmm. also been author. I'm sure there were people along the way who cheered you on. There were mm -hmm. also people along the way who said bad idea. Yeah. Uh, are you what motivates you more? People saying you can't do this or people saying, hey, you can do this. Which one? I think it depends on our personalities. Yes. Which one tends to motivate you more? I am definitely the encouraging people who say you can do it. The people who say I can't, I actually believe them. And mm. then because I'm already such a self-doubter. And so then I'm like, I'm like, yeah, they're right. I shouldn't do this. Where my husband, Kevin, is the opposite. Like you tell him no, he's like, uh-uh, I'm going for it then. Like you could almost just say the opposite <laughs> to Kevin to get him to do what you want. You know what I mean? What yeah. about you? What's your motivation? I think I'm more like you. I think as other people are affirming what I'm doing and kind of cheering it on, that adds uh, fuel to me. Uh, I You put it perfectly. I think when I hear other people saying you can't do this, I go, well, maybe I can't. Like, maybe they're right. <laughs> maybe they're right. Maybe they see something I'm not seeing. And uh, it, and, and it deflates me. Like it goes, yeah, oh, totally. maybe, maybe they're right. And But there are people out there who just go, you know what? I'm going to show the world. That's clearly what motivated this swimmer. I know. She it's was so like, impressive. Yeah. So what's it look like for us? We, we're parents. We've got kids. Mm -hmm. We're pastors. We have people at our churches. What? How do you walk the line of trying to um, cheer people on versus trying to speak 
uh, truth when maybe you're like, no, that's a bad idea oh, of what you're doing. I tend to be a hype girl. Like even in my grad school program, I'm sort of known for being the one that it's encouraging everyone along. Like I just tend to believe everyone can do whatever they want to do. And I tend to think everyone's so talented and gifted and they should mm. go for it. It's amazing. And I also tend to think like we fail forward. We've talked about this on the comma good. So even if you actually don't do that great of a job, at whatever it is you're trying, there will be lessons learned in that that will like change you and, yeah. and shape you and mold you. And so I I don't know, I kind of tend to think go for it. Now, what I'm not a big fan of is like self-delusion. Mm. And so I do think there are times when you have to say somebody like, baby, you've tried. You've spent a lot of time, a lot of money on this. Maybe God is calling you to something else that's right in front of you that's your mi- that you're yeah. missing. You don't need to spin your wheels and like claw your way to some table of success when actually what's right in front of you is what God has for you. So I think it sort of depends on the person and the situation and both matter, right? Yeah, that's that's good. That's a good word. Well, wanted to start there. Love love the Olympics. Love Enjoy those the Olympics. Olympics. Way to go, Penny. And understand how much work these Olympians have put in day after day after day. It is so impressive. Unbelievable. It is. Well, coming up next, we're excited to be joined by Davey Blackburn. He's a speaker, a podcast co-hosted by my co-host here. So him and I might need to fight over you a little bit here. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I can't wait for that to happen. Davey's also the founder of Nothing is Wasted Ministries and has put out a new devotional called the Pain to Purpose Devotional. We're going to talk about all of that with Davey Blackburn next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And also, I'm in sort of this weird world because I'm alongside another co-host of mine. Davey Blackburn is here with us. Hi, Davey. (laughs) Hey. Hey, everyone. (laughs) This is weird. Aubrey, you said... You introduced yourself, and then I was about to be like, and I'm Davey Black. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is like inception for me. So we're going to make this awkward as we can. Listeners who don't know what we're talking about, Davey and I have a podcast called Nothing is Wasted. It's out of his and his wife's ministry, Nothing is Wasted Ministries. And it's wonderful. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But this is kind of fun. This is like the collision of two worlds for me. It is. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Davey Blackburn is a speaker. He's the founder of the Nothing is Wasted Ministries. He's the co-host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. And we are here to talk with him about his new devotional, The Pain to Purpose Devotional. Davey, thanks so much for being here with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's always an honor to chat with you guys. Can you tell our listeners who may not know Nothing is Wasted or may not know you a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm a pastor, author, speaker, um, lead a ministry called Nothing is Wasted Ministries. I have three kids and now a brand new dog. We just picked up a puppy what? last week. I did not uh, know this, crazy baby. In the dog family. Yeah, but Christy, my wife, uh, she's a PA here in town, does all kinds of fun stuff with holistic wellness and coaching. And then our three kids, Natalia's eight, Weston just turned seven, and Cohen is about to turn two. And so it's a crazy busy life for us. We spend a lot of time traveling, speaking at a lot of different churches and uh, then on the ground here in, in Indianapolis, we lead the Ministry of Nothing is Wasted that provides content, community, and coaching for people who are walking through um, trauma, tragedy, and major life transition. We're trying to help people find purpose in their pain because pain is the, the common denominator of life. It, yeah. it levels the playing field for all of us. And so that's what we spend our day-to-day doing. Awesome. awesome. And Davey, talk more about that. Again, the Pain to Purpose devotional. People can find it at 
paintopurposedevo.com. That's paintopurposedevo.com. Uh, talk about uh, it's a 42 day journey, you said, through life's valleys. Why did you write it? Right. And like, why is it so important for people to work through the pains of life? Yeah, well, it started out, I wrote it as just kind of a companion to the, you know, the course that we were walking people through. We have a course called the Pain to Purpose course. We launch it in churches all over the country. People go through it as individuals. We have an online community that goes through it together in groups. Uh, tailored to their specific pain nuance that they're walking through. So they get to walk through it with other people. And we just felt like there, there needed to be a companion where every single morning, as people were kind of going through the, the week over week kind of rigor of that course, every morning they could get just little bite-sized insights that would encourage them, that would inspire them, that would challenge them as they're walking along the journey. And so started out as we were coaching clients, and I felt like we needed to give them just some, um, some places from God's Word where it talks about pain. We wanted to curate all of the different places that we could find in God's Word that talks about pain and how we should walk through pain and suffering and where God is in pain and suffering and where we can find Him in our pain and suffering. And so it, it, what started as just me sending out some devotionals to our coaching clients wound up to be this fully published, uh, designed uh, book in a 42-day journey. And so it's really exciting. It's beautiful. The layouts are gorgeous. There's original photography. It just, when you pick it up, you just feel, uh, I feel like a, almost an anointing on the book, but also mm. just the aesthetics of it make it feel very um, it, clean and refreshing for somebody. And so it's just, we're, we're so proud of this resource. Mm-hmm. Again, you can find that devotional at paintopurposedevo.com. Davey, I want to step back just a little bit for people who may not be familiar with Nothing is Wasted. How did you even get started in this type of ministry? Because it certainly is unusual to be talking about suffering and pain and where God is in the valley. Yeah, of course. Well, it happened through our own tragedy that we walked through. And I was a pastor in Indianapolis and a church planter. I was married to this wonderful woman named Amanda. And we had a 15-month-old son when in November of 2015, our home was broken into, and uh, Amanda was um, caught up in the scuffle of that. She she was shot and killed. Um, mm. Three men that broke into this home, and you know, they stand uh, trial now. It looks like the trial is going to be in December, wow. uh, the jury trial for them. But you know that was back in 2015, and so over the course of several years, for a couple of years, I, I continued to pass to the church as I was trying to find healing. And people came around me in some really powerful ways: pastors, church leaders, counselors. Um, but that's because our story was pretty public and, and I found that, you know, people were coming around me and holding me up. But then as I went and began to share our story at other churches, I found that there were so many people, the large majority of people that find themselves feeling isolated and alone in their pain and suffering. Mm. And so it just felt like a mantle that God had stewarded on our lives, that he had stewarded us, stewarded us this platform so that we could help other people one, find Jesus in their pain and suffering, because that's really what's going to bring them true healing and wholeness, but then also find other people who are walking through it, because it's impossible to walk through anything in life by yourself, but especially pain and suffering. Yeah. And Dave, talk a little bit more about that, because I think a lot of people, when they, when they face pain and suffering, uh, whether dramatic or even small, they isolate themselves. Mm-hmm. So talk to people right. about why it, why community, why doing this with other people uh, is so vitally important. Yeah, well, Brian, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think that's one of the number one strategies of the enemy is to get us to think that we are all by ourselves, mm-hmm. that nobody else is experiencing what we're experiencing, nobody else is feeling what we're feeling. 
if he can isolate us, I feel like that he can ultimately devastate our lives. You know, I mean, you guys have seen National Geographic where they, you know, zero in on the, the prey down at the watering hole and, and the, the one wildebeest that wanders away from, you know, the herd. And, of course, mm. the reason that one's being featured is because that one is susceptible. It's vulnerable to attack from predators. And so this is interesting that Scripture calls, you know, Satan, our enemy, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking mm-hmm. to make power. Wow. Yeah. So I just think community is so vital because it's in community that we find um, encouragement. Uh, I always call it borrowing people's faith. Mm-hmm. When I didn't have faith for myself, I was able to borrow from other people who had walked through difficult journeys, who had been there, who had, were further along on the journey, and they could point out to me, hey, here's kind of the pitfalls that you're going to experience. Here's some places of discouragement you're going to experience. And even just a, someone that you can call up in those moments where you just feel like you can't go on, mm. and, and they're able to offer that encouragement through God's Word. So community is so vital. I mean, there's this illustration that is incredible about, and we actually feature this in the devotional, where the oak trees that, that grow up together they actually dig two different root systems. They dig a taproot system that goes deep down to find the, the underwater source, you know, to help them get their nutrients. But they also build root systems. Then after they send their taproot down, they send them out horizontally to connect with other oak trees. Wow. And not only do they hold each other up when storms come, they're able to kind of keep, you know, them, themselves buffered from the storms, but also are able to um, transfer nutrients between the roots. It's wild. Underneath the soil, they're transferring nutrients with each other between the roots. And so if there's a sickly oak tree, it's able to derive nutrients that it needs from other oak trees. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. That's what the church is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. That's what I experienced in my tragedy, and that's just what we want to create for other people in in the midst of their tragedies and traumas. That's powerful. So good, Davey. Again, the 42-day devotional, you can find it at paintheperposedevo.com. And the beautiful thing about this devotional is um, it's 42 days. It is just a beautiful thing to hold in your hand. And um, really, it's a, a tool for you as you're walking through pain to find hope and to find God's presence in the middle of it. Again, you can find that at paintapurposedevo.com. Davey, we would love to hear from you just some stories of transformation out of Nothing is Wasted and maybe even out of this devotional. Like, what has God been doing through your ministry? Yeah, it's pretty wild. We're just now starting to collect a lot of stories. I mean, our ministry has been pretty, it's pretty new in its inception. Really, we started in 2019. And then, of course, we experienced this massive pandemic in the middle of all of it. Mm-hmm. Of all of it. it felt so appropriate and timely. It's like God knew what he was doing and launching us into this to help people in their trauma. But I, I specifically think of this, this one lady. Um, she was going through all kinds of childhood trauma and, and dealing with that. I mean, she's you know, now in her 50s, and she's re-experiencing all this stuff, trying to heal from it, seeing it kind of come out in her life sideways and the way she interfaces with other people and the way she interfaces with her husband. And she got a hold of our Pain to Purpose course, went through that material by herself a couple of times, and wrote into us and started sharing her story with us. And we were like, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable what kind of healing she's finding from our course Let's have her on the podcast. So we interviewed her, and I'm telling you, it's just an amazing story of how she worked through some abuse in her past mm. and how the Lord really met her in, in the, the material and the content that we were giving to her. Well, long story short, she winds up connecting to our ministry, becoming one of our certified guides, which are coaches that coach people one-on-one. And her husband happens to be a care pastor of this um, you know, large mega church in the area, and, and they've started launching the course in their church, and they're seeing so many people in their church find freedom and healing and breakthrough. 
so much so that they're actually about to launch the course in a women's prison right there in the area <gasps> that their church is in. It's, a, it's an unbelievable kind of full circle story, but she's finding what, what all of us find and what we really try to help people with the, in the course, and that is that redemption in our story doesn't necessarily start when God begins to restore back to us the things that we've lost. I mean, mm-hmm. That's trauma and tragedy, it's things that we've lost. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. Proverbs tells us that he'll make the thief repay back sevenfold what he's stolen from us. But that's not when redemption starts. Redemption starts and while in the midst of us walking through our valley, we begin to use our pain and turn it around to help other people mm-hmm. in their pain. And that's the story of this lady, and that's the story we want to help everybody with, to say God's got a specific calling and purpose out of this pain. His heart yeah. is broken for you in the midst of your pain. Right. He did not want this to go this way for you. This mm-hmm. is a result of maybe living in a, in a fallen and broken world or mm-hmm. someone else being a perpetrator of something in your life. Mm-hmm. And so his heart is broken alongside with you. And so now he's saying, hey, listen, let's go and take your story back together. And that's the whole point of Nothing Is Wasted Ministries is to help people partner with God to take back their story. Mm. Again, you can check out nothingiswasted.com. Also, the devotional is at paintopurposedevo.com. That's paintopurposedevo.com. And Davey, in the first part of the the interview, you talked about and you you shared about the tragedy that you went through that was just an enormous Mm -hmm. tragedy. And I would love for you to speak just to what was the process for you like? Like, what Mm -hmm. did you do to kind of get your feet back under you Uh, And even how long did it even take? I think it'd be helpful for people to hear. How long did it even take before you even saw any light at the end of the tunnel for yourself? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Well, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. You know, we're always still in the process of healing. So there's Mm -hmm. still, I want to encourage somebody, you know, if they're years and years and years into, you know, the aftermath of their trauma or their tragedy, I'm still experiencing things. But the the difference is is I have tools now. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what God uh, intersected into my life the first year when he brought counselors and coaches and pastors and people, and really a lot of these aha moments that the Holy Spirit met me in directly through his word or through these experiences, where he began to put a healing salve back on my soul. And I, I would say the first full year was just, I, I mean, uh, drinking from a, a fire hydrant mm. in just the healing of what God was doing in my life. I I think there's a lot of different stages that you're going to go through in grief or in trauma. I think the first stage that you're going to experience is the stage of shock. And I honestly believe that shock is um, God's mercy on us. It's a way that he's wired our Mm -hmm. bodies, you know, physiologically to kind of go into a survival mode. Because if we felt the full weight of everything we were experiencing in that pain or in that tragedy, it would literally crush us. And so God allows kind of a latency period to happen. Well, then after that, though, you're always going to experience this real deep, dark night of the soul. And I'll never forget three months or so after Amanda passed away, you know, it was like, like month one through three, I was in this deep, like even physical ailment season where I was so devastated in this deep, dark pain. But it was after that, I I remember going to Israel in April of 2016, so about six months after Amanda passed away. And there was something about walking around in the places that Jesus walked and learning some biblical heroes that I've learned all my life, but learning their pain that they'd walked through. And that really all of Christendom, all of our faith is hinged on this concept of what God does to reverse Mm -hmm. pain. I mean, this is the story of Jesus. And when I learned all of these different stories in Israel, it's like all of a sudden my life began to go from black and white 
to color again. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing, like, God can do this in my story as well. And in fact, that became kind of the beginning or the impetus to, to the Pain to Purpose devotional. Mm-hmm. This devotional walks through the stories of some prolific leaders that we see in the Bible, right? Uh, men and women of faith. We've got Job, we've got David mm-hmm. and Joseph and Ruth and Jesus and the early church and all of these different accounts of their lives and the pain they walked through, but what God did to reverse their pain and use it for His glory and their good. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good, Davey. Davey, um, I, I want people to hear your heart a little bit um, through this devotional. What do you hope readers, participators, small groups, etc., get as they're walking through these 40 days of pain to purpose with you? Yeah, I hope they feel understood. Mm. You know, I hope they feel a sense of solidarity that they would say, man, I'm not the only one experiencing this and feeling this. You know, we kind of call it like this idea of me too. But I also hope at the same time, they feel like they can move through their valley. Mm-hmm. You know, Aubrey, we talk about this all the time, and nothing is yeah. wasted. Me too, now let's move through. That's right. And it's this tension that we create between, hey, I understand. I'm walking with you in empathy and solidarity in this, because ultimately Jesus walked with us in empathy and solidarity. Amen. He has experienced every bit of suffering that we have experienced. So if nobody else in this world understands, he understands. And that's what I'm hoping people get when they walk through this devotional, that they can see this kind of come out from the pages of Scripture and come out from the pages of the commentary that we've provided of these different stories of these heroes, that Jesus is with them, or Jesus was with them in their pain, and Jesus is with you in your pain mm-hmm. as well. And, and, and then I'm, I'm hoping that they just experience hope, maybe for the first time, that there is this light at the end of this dark valley that they're walking through right. Jesus, and He is going to walk us right through it and beyond it. He doesn't we often ask God to rescue us out of a valley. Mm-hmm. The way God rescues us out of valleys is walking us through the valley. <laughs> so he's true, got so it? much in store for us through the valley that's going to build us into the men and women that he desires for us. And we become more like the image of Christ. That's right. Yeah, such a good word, Davey. Well, you can learn more about the Pain to Purpose devotional at paintopurposedevo.com. You can connect with Davey Blackburn at nothingiswasted.com and at Davey Blackburn. You can listen to me and Davey on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. <laughs> you can listen to the Common Good podcast with me and Brian and then switch over to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. All, Aubrey, and, all, day, all, long. all, day, all day long. <laughs> Davey, thanks so much for being here thanks, with Davey. us. Uh, thank you, guys. Coming up next, Brian and I are going to do one of our favorite things, a top five list. You are not going to want to miss it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Happy Friday. Welcome back to The Common Good. You're on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And Aubrey, as people know, if it's Friday, it's one of our favorite times of the week. That is our top five list. This gets you excited, right? This is like what I look forward to every week, our uh, top five list. We talk about heavy stuff here, but then every now and then we're like, okay, the palate cleanser. Here we go. And Time so, to have some fun. Uh, the top five list is exactly what it sounds like. It, the description <laughs> is in the title. <laughs> Aubrey and I pick a topic, and we do our top five of that topic. That's and it. so before we tell you what this one is, as you all know, our producer has made a great top five jingle. Here it is. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right. Well, today, kind of we like to talk movies. You know, I like sports. Mm-hmm. We got uh, the Olympics yes. going on. So yes. let's combine them all. Okay. Aubrey and I today are going to do our top 
five sports movies. Sports movies. Top five sports movies. These we we made some things. Um, made some rules, some ground rules. Yes. No documentaries. No document, because that's boring. Right. Like, I'm not going to be like, hey, that, uh, the highlight reel of the 1986 Mets of my family. Right. Not going to And I'm not going to say that because I would never have watched that. You would not nope. have. And so this is more in my wheelhouse. This would be like for you if we did like top five Marvel movies. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, this is Brian's world we're entering right now. This is my world. And so the movies have to have like, they got to be like centered around sports. Yeah. It can't be like, oh, I like a few good men because Tom Cruise <laughs> hit a song. Softball at one point, right? So, all right, Aubrey, I would like you to go first. I also have three honorable mentions, by the way. Uh, okay, go, top, I have several honorable mentions as well. Yeah, what people would like to know is that you had to Google top. Sports I did. Movies. I did have to Google sports movies, <laughs> and right. I found some. You found some. All right, number my number one. five sports movie. Five, I, yes. I'm wondering if you're going to know this movie. This is a romantic comedy sports movie called Wimbledon. Starring Paul Bettany, who is Vision himself from WandaVision, and Kirsten Dunst. And it's so cute. I love it. They play tennis a lot and they fall in love. It makes sense that they play tennis a lot. Okay. Nope. Never heard of it. I've heard of Wimbledon, but you know, not You the should movie. watch it. Wimbledon. All, All right, right. What's yours? My number five. Uh, it is just a joyous movie to watch when it's on. My number five is Sandlot. Man, this is baseball. You got to stop thinking. You just have fun. Oh, that's a great movie. Yep. yep. I, but that's my a good son one. went through a Sandlot stage, so we'd watch it all the time. Yeah. Love, love, Sandlot love. has appeared on many a top five list for it you, has. Brian. Oh, gosh. That scene, I just came across it the other day, that scene where the boy <laughs> pretends that he drowns. So oh, that's like, kind of terrible. I feel like it's a little inappropriate. That's <laughs> the 50s and 60s for you. All right. Number four. All right. My number four is an excellent sports movie. <laughs> we'll decide that for you. <laughs> About surfing. Called Point Break. Oh, it's not a sports movie. Come on, they surf. It is not surfing is a... sports. So I'll give you two things. That is a fabulous movie, <laughs> not a sports movie. But we're gonna let you go with Thank it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Point Break. Whatever do, Brian says, Point Break is a sports movie. I do love Point Break. Yeah, but it's primarily a bank robbing movie. I, I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> I will confess. So the internet, but there is surfing. Yes, and that's yes, a sport. Yes. <laughs> okay. What's yours? Number four, uh, Happy Gilmore. I can't believe you're a professional golfer. I think you should be working at the snack bar. You better relax, Bob. There is no way that you could have been as bad at hockey as you are at golf. All right, let's go. Oh, yeah, that's funny. I love Happy Gilmore. Good. Started to show it to my younger kids the other day. No, and that's not that a good idea. not what I remember nope. it to be. Nope. But if you are of age, Adam Sandler's Happy Gilmore. <laughs> what age is of age for Happy Gilmore, Brian? I believe, it, I believe that age is 18. And so, uh, yes, it was a hilarious movie. Kind of got me through. Got, not got me through, but we watched it many times yeah, in college. Yeah, that was an oft-quoted, oft-quoted movie. All right. My number three uh, this one has a special place in my heart because now I really like the television series that it's, it's based a on. Movie. <laughs> Go ahead. Mighty Ducks. Okay. And just when you think they're about to break apart, ducks, ducks fly, fly together. together. When the wind blows hard and the sky is black, ducks fly together. That's, That's a sports a good one. movie. That's a good one. And it's yes. a good one. Yes. I like it. Yes. The underdogs. You yes. know, it's always a great tale. Good. Okay. Number three. Uh, I I wanted to put in here all of the Rocky movies, but then I uh, thought you would push back on that. I might not have. But so okay. I am going to pick a Rocky movie. Which and one? Go Rocky Four. Which is the Russian? That, of 
Yeah, everyone, everyone likes that one. Yeah, it's the Russian. I just like the montage scene where he's in that Russian cabin or yes. wherever he is yes, exercising. Only, yeah. The beauty of Rocky Four is they had kind of decided like we're done making movies here, uh-huh. and so like a third of the movie is montage scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so they just go I love and, a good montage. But I love, love, love Rocky. I love okay. all the Rocky movies up through Rocky Four, but I I love Rocky Four. How do you feel about uh, Creed? I love Creed. Yeah, Creed's yeah. pretty awesome. But the difference is I could show my son Rocky Four. Creed, there's some yeah, moments where you yeah. go, I probably shouldn't be showing this to a 13-year-old boy fair. right now. Okay, my turn. Number my number two is, this one's old. Surely you know this movie, but this is another romantic sports movie called Love and Basketball. I, that's not that old. Yes, I love yes. that movie. It's so good. So we're basically doing your top five romantic comedies with <laughs> yes, a sport angle to them. You <laughs> have nailed it. That's right. If anybody out there has listened to our top five list, they will know what my top two are. Yes. Because I've mentioned them many I times. already know what your top two are. Number two Field of Dreams. Oh, okay. I got that mixed up. I thought I thought number one would be Field of Dreams nope, for you. Nope, okay, nope, the other one. Okay, uh, number two, uh, Field of Dreams. And so I just, I some people. I have a brother-in-law who just mocks Field of Dreams, but Hi. I am like, you know, you've got you've got just baseball and yes. you've got James Earl Jones speech about baseball, yes. and then at the end, hey dad, his you want to catch, and everybody's uh, crying. Of course, dad wants to have a little time. It was his voice yeah. and the dad. It's a great movie. And, oh, it was you. No, no, Ray, it was you. Oh, I'm done right there. So I love Field of Dreams. Is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa. Do you like Field of Dreams? I love Field of Dreams. I don't uh, think I could quote it the way you can quote it because it has been a long time. We can just keep going. I'll but just keep I, going. But I had a roommate in college who loved Field of Dreams, and so we watched it many a time I believe, in college. I believe. I might have my schedule wrong. I believe next week, every year, there's a game, an MLB game played out the Field of Dreams. And no the, way! Our, our local team, the Chicago White Sox, are playing the New York Yankees, uh, I believe, next week. That is cool. Can people yes. get tickets for that? I don't think so because it's so small. I think it's okay. like people VIP connected to or the whatever. team. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, you'll be seeing that oh, around here, I believe. Cool. I know the White Sox are playing Yankees at Field of Dreams. I think it's next week. That so. is awesome. Yep, how fun. Number, are we at number one? We're at number one, so we so have to do your, our... Uh, give me your, uh, yes, your honorable mentions. Okay, um, Cars. It's not a sports movie. <laughs> Race car movie. Yes, it is, Brian. Although it is a sports I movie. I Talladega Nights. I didn't put that oh, one yeah, on Oh, yeah, that's there. a good yes. movie. Uh, Million Dollar Baby, which is a kind of depressing yes. boxer movie, but I really like it. And by Karate Ka- Kid. By Ka- oh, I hadn't thought of Karate yeah. Kid. yeah. Sweep the leg. That's good. Okay. What are yours? Uh, my three honorable mentions. I went Remember the Titans. Oh, yep. Okay. Good one. Uh, Solid. That was when we were youth pastors. That's the movie you could show, right? Like, <laughs> so oh, do watch Remember night. the Titans. Watch Remember the Titans. <laughs> that's so true. Uh, number two, I like Bull Durham. Okay. That's with Kevin Costner. That is with him. He's the baseball player. Barely every, remember it. Basically, every sports movie is Kevin yeah, Costner. Yeah, he is in a lot of sports movies. Uh, including my aforementioned Field of Dreams. Yes. Uh, and my other honorable mention, Rudy. Right, Rudy. Yeah, that's a great one. Rudy. It's cheesy. Rudy. Yeah, it's, no, it's a solid movie. It's cheesy, but yep. yeah, you, you could do worse than sitting down and watching Rudy. All right. The, uh, uh, the world is waiting, and you can't pick Harry Potter because they play Quidditch. <laughs> <laughs> you just said something that made me think I want to change it, but I'm going to stick with what I have. This is a newer movie, and it's not Cars, <laughs> but it is a racing movie, so I'm hoping it counts in your mind. It's Ford v. Ferrari. You ready? 
The name on the middle of that steering wheel should tell you that I was born ready, Shelby. Hit it. Attaboy. I love okay. that movie. Okay. I watched it, and then I made my kids watch it with me. I thought uh, it was so good. I'll give it to you. I haven't seen it. I thought maybe you go Days of Thunder there or nope, something. Nope. Okay. Ford v. Ferrari. Okay, what about yours? Well, my number one, I, I love it so much that it even came into a sermon this past week, and that's Hoosiers. Hoosiers. I, yeah. I, yeah. Far and away the best movie out there. You know, I could quote it all night Let's long. Let's hear a quote from Hoosiers because oh, I don't really remember it, to be part honest. Is when, is when uh, Jimmy Chitwood, who they all want to play, he comes into the meeting where they're trying to fire Coach Norman Dale and he gets up in front and he goes, uh, I reckon it's time for me to play ball again. And everyone goes nuts. And then he goes, One thing, uh, I play, coach stays. He goes, I go. And then he just walks out. Oh, boom. Mic drop so moment. Good. Okay, let so me ask good. you a quick question before we close. I'm ready. Is dancing sports? Because if so, I would like to add another movie to mine. <laughs> no, girls just want to have fun. No, dancing is not a sport. <laughs> okay, then I'll take that off. I am not giving you that. Again, your list is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just looking at it in front of me. I'll own that. It's ridiculous. It is yep. ridiculous. So Fair. let us know what you think. Uh, shame Aubrey about her uh, her sports or list. Or celebrate me. You can find them at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common good talk well coming up next we're going to ask this question how as christians how do we uh how do we inhabit an unraveling culture what's our role as everything seems to be going crazy around us Aubrey and i are going to discuss that next year on the common good aim 1160 hope for your life coming up this hour how do you inhabit an unraveling culture And we're going to end today's show with some good news for you. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on Friday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We're so grateful that you've joined us today. Brian, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how this has been a heavy, heavy heavy (laughs) season (laughs) and I felt like we were almost to a a place of breaking free and then now we're seeing all of these COVID numbers rising and people are panicking again and it's starting to feel a little bit overwhelming. Tell me about it. I know people are discouraged. I know people are disheartened. I'm wondering if you're feeling any of that at all. Uh, By by any of it, you mean all of it. (laughs) You're feeling it. You know, and you and I have talked about this this week. It is hard that um, it felt like we were out of COVID or kind of out of COVID right. and now it got ripped back. Like it Absolutely. would almost be, you know, I'm not saying it would have been easier if we never had like the freedom. And I know a lot of people, they're like, nope, I'm living free. Yeah. It's just more complicated again. Right. Regardless of what you believe, it's more complicated again. Whereas it felt like a month or two ago, it wasn't even complicated right. anymore. I was, like, Here we go. I, I was actually at a restaurant earlier this week and they had removed all of their mask mandates for people who've been vaccinated. And now the signs are back up. And I noticed all of the people yes. there and all of the employees had their masks on again. And I just was like, oh, man, I don't want to go back to this. But it seems like here we are. So here's my question for you. In the middle of all of that, okay, mm-hmm. in the middle of the disheartening feelings, in the middle of the discouragement and just the complicatedness of all of this. That's right. Is there anything that you specifically do to be mindful, I guess, to move past that emotionally, but also to be a light for Christ in the middle of this darkness and chaos? Yeah, that's a good question. I think to answer your first question, what do I do to not get overwhelmed by it? I, I've tried to to take in less social media. Mm, and I've tried really? to take in. Yeah, I got Facebook. I took Facebook off my phone. Oh, you did? So, oh, yeah, that's, and I don't even wow. look at it anymore. Maybe better once than a day. Me. 
I, I don't think I am. I think it was having a detrimental effect upon me. And mm. I, I started by like taking off, uh, just blocking a ton of people. Yeah. Uh, not anybody listening, but you know, I started blocking. <laughs> Did a ton you of block people. me, Brian? <laughs> I noticed you haven't written it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but so that's one. Uh, and two, like I think about just dealing with my and talking to my own children or how we talk in our house. It's again, you you feel like you're back to like, hey, there's some things we can control and there's yeah. some things we can't, and we can choose how we're going to, what our attitude is going to be mm-hmm. right now, as opposed to, you know, shaking your fist at everything. Right. And, oh, my gosh, I'm going into Panera and they're making me put on a mask. Right. Okay. Like, do I think it's kind of silly that we're, I'm vaccinated and I got to put, yeah, I kind of do. But, right. But that's okay. I, yeah. don't, I don't need to die on every hill here and, and argue everything out. I do think that we as Christ followers have an opportunity uh, in how we interact with people. Like if I'm just going to be that person who is stirring the pot at all times, who's complaining about everything, yeah. who is calling into question the motives of other people, mm-hmm. whether you believe we should be in masks and doing this, or you're like, listen, this is crazy. I've right. worn a mask in a year. Uh, I think how we treat our neighbor yes. feels biblical to me yes. uh, is, is again, really important. I shouldn't say again. It's always really important, but it's highlighted right now because, again, I think people are going to act kind of jerky coming up here yeah. as masks come back or masks don't. As we see pictures from Lollapalooza and there's all these people, but then <laughs> right, you hear we right. might our kids need to go to school in yeah. masks. I think it's going to, again, inflame a lot of people. And so the question as Christians is, what do we do as our culture around us is kind of just inflamed? You know, it's interesting. I took a cross-cultural communications class as part of my graduate work at Wheaton. And just a couple weeks ago, I was in class. And one of the things that we, I'm in class with uh, someone from Canada. And one of the things that she was talking about was the... I mean, some beautiful things about America are this like independent individualism yeah. that we have that's made us thrive in so many ways. But she was saying in Canada, there is never a question of will we or won't we wear masks? Will we really? or won't we get vaccinated? She's like, we all understand that we will do this for the collective good. Mm-hmm. And even if something in you says, oh, I'd rather not, it just doesn't occur to the Canadian not to. And I think that's probably true in a lot of cultures that the the common good i mean i'm yeah, not trying to use yeah. that show t- or that title tongue in cheek but um is what matters mm. and I, and I, I you know i think a a way to shine a light for christ in the middle of this is just to keep encouraging people That's god right. is in control whether or not we're wearing masks whether or not we're i don't know i hate all this stuff but whether or not we're facing it god is on the throne right. and we can serve and love our neighbors in a way that encourages other people in a way that protects them and in a way that honors him. Here's what I wanted to, um, or honors him, honors God. Here's what I wanted to read you, Brian. The Gospel Coalition had an article recently called How to Inhabit an Unraveling Culture by Jonathan Dodson. And he says, he's quoting a poll from the American Psychiatric Association. 62% of Americans feel more anxious now than they did a year ago, wow. which is interesting because that's in the middle of COVID. When it was a lot more uneasy, right. we, we knew a lot less. Right. And this figure nearly doubles the anxiety levels of the previous three years. Mm. That was shocking to hear. Yeah. And and so then it becomes a question, like you said, like, what are we going to do in churches? You and I are both pastors. Mm-hmm. Last week, uh, the CDC somewhat unhelpful, unhelpfully said, kind of recommend you put masks on but you guys kind of do what you want and in some ways like you said we're we're kind of grateful to be able to make our own choices yeah. but in other ways it kind of leaves us out in a on a limb going 
kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you right. don't. Like, what am I supposed right. to do? And I, I think in churches, in schools, we're about to start school soon. And I, you and I were just discussing how it felt like we were so close to our kids not going back oh, in masks. Oh, not having to wear masks. And now it feels like that nothing's been said in our school system yet, but it feels like That's the tide the of go. culture right, is going. Right. And over and over, go to the restaurant. You and I met at Panera the mm-hmm. other day, and it was like, you texted me, make sure to bring your yep, mask. You and I was have like, your what? Mask. Really? Yep. And so the the question becomes... How are you, Christ follower, going to interact with people? How are you going to react when, like, I I think this Gospel Coalition article uses a good term, when around us culture is unraveling, not just about COVID. It's also unraveling politically. It's unraveling along all these various fault lines. And then the question for us becomes... Do I just add to that? Does the church add to that? Do question. I personally add to that? Or am I a, he talks at the end of the article about peacemaking. Do I talk, am I a peacemaker? Do I fight for peace even when it goes against the things that I might feel strongly about? How do I interact there? And I think it goes back to loving our neighbor, to modeling Jesus. And I do think some of the things we probably felt like we were past, I think we need to go back and go, okay, mm-hmm. I have to remember what's it look like to not always get my way, uh, you know, what does that look like? I really think that's going to be important again, even if we thought we were Even if past we this. thought we were past this. Okay, right. here we are again. Um, w- one other thing that the article says is how do we make peace? Mm. And this author says, by taking up the weapons made for the war we're in. I think this is interesting. Against them, our true enemy cannot stand. Mm. When tempted to outrage, armored Christians move toward one another in shoes of peace. When doubting our leaders, we appeal to the belt of truth to unite us. When encountering disagreeable ideas, we appeal to the sword that first judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And perhaps most profoundly, we pray for those with different views. And I feel like if we can grab hold of one thing, praying for those, I mean, praying for our neighbors, praying for our loved ones, and praying those who we might feel opposed to in this culture moment is a really, really good practical way to shine the love of Jesus. Because once you're praying for someone, your heart sort of breaks and no longer can you see them as your enemy. You start to have compassion. That's right. The spirit of God does it's that. Hard. And so that's a good, that's a good call for all of it's us. It's hard to hate people and really go against them. People that you're praying for. Yeah, and so that, I think that's one reason Jesus yeah. says, pray for your, pray for your enemies. It's really hard to hate people that you're praying for. Yep. That's good. So we can all Oh, keep praying, move towards peace, and keep hopeful in this disheartening season. Well, coming up next, is Amazon making all of us lonely? This is going to be an interesting conversation. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. I'm Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so glad you're here with us today. Okay, Brian, I have a question for you. <laughs> yes, I'm How ready. often would you say you or maybe members of your family order from Amazon.com? Uh, so that's a very, uh, those are two very different answers. Okay, okay, let's start with you. How often do you, Brian from order from Amazon? Pretty infrequently. But okay. The, uh, but let me caveat that, that I do very little of the purchasing for our house. Gotcha. So, uh, oftentimes, if I'm buying stuff for church, you know, a book or whatever, I will, or when holidays come around. Now, how often does my home there we go uh, order from Amazon? 
uh, it feels like a daily basis. Like you're coming home from work and you there's the package is always there. The Amazon package is there's always there. There's no doubt in the world that I see the FedEx and UPS drivers more than a lot of my family members. <laughs> that I see them, uh, especially come Christmas time, but in general. And uh, my wife, you know, it's funny. It, she's pretty unapologetic about it because it is really convenient and oftentimes cheaper. It's very so convenient. I know now Especially do, if you have Prime. It's I mean, very convenient. Oh, oh, we have Prime. Yeah. So we do. We, we, we're to the point that our groceries are bought through Amazon. Wow. Yeah, really? Yeah. And so they get delivered to your home through Amazon. A hundred percent. Wow. Yes. yes. Uh, there are not many things purchased in my home. Uh, not done through Amazon. You know, we purchase most of our things through Amazon, too. I mean, this morning I ordered something. Yesterday I ordered something. The day before yesterday I ordered something. (laughs) And part of it is that convenience. I know it's going to be here in a day or two. But um, it's interesting. We're with a a lot of younger people at church, and they're always telling us, do not buy from Amazon. It is an evil empire. Buy local. So I'll I'll be interested to see with the next generation how this changes you think they're change. you think it's not going to no, change once they get okay i'm going to miss you know the cynical old guy let's hear it once they get through their idealistic stage uh, of life fair. they've got their kids they've got this i think they're going to be like <laughs> they realize you know that convenience actually is a value yes. that kind of thing their time is money that kind of thing i understand that that makes sense okay here's why i asked you this brian this is actually something that you pointed out to me that i thought was interesting there was a uh, something on twitter why don't mm-hmm. you actually take over from here and yeah, tell the people what we're talking about yeah i wanted to play a clip from a podcast that i listened to on a somewhat regular basis it's a it's a sports podcast but they tend to go all over the place it's a really well-known one called the dan lebitard show uh and i found this clip where he's talking about in a funny way but also i think in some he brings up some really interesting points about who we are as a culture and you're going to see how amazon plays into okay, this okay but just the general loneliness of us as a culture and he, it's got some laughs in it but it's actually a really big deal so let's listen to that With our addiction to the devices, one of the great untreated addictions in the history of humankind, that we are more disconnected than we've ever been, even as we're more connected. Go ahead and walk down the street and you will see people in their phones and you will see people taking pictures of their lives and editing it so that they could put it on their social media. But what is happening right now with the technological evolution is absolutely an isolation of people who don't have to interact with others that is creating a film of mental illness. It is an, a film of loneliness that you don't want to go out to the mall anymore to buy, buy anything. You don't want to go to the grocery store to buy anything. You don't want to go to the movie theater to interact well, with people. Well, you don't people. have to. Right? When, when you don't have to, if you're going to keep making it convenient. And I, I do think that people like Bezos are making a whole lot of money on making us lonelier. Making us as as a people lonelier by making things so convenient and so cheap that you keep coming home and fighting with your wife because she's got a bunch of packages there again. She, he's act, Bezos is actively ruining your life. Here's the business plan. Let's make them never leave the house. It's, it's, it's fascinating that it's happening to us. We're all watching it happen as he shoots himself into space. As part of the country's we... on fire, part of the world is flooding, and we are more disconnected and lonelier than we've ever been, and it's all going into one man's pocket, and we're celebrating. Congratulations, Jeff Bezos. You did it. And so there, uh, again, Lebetard, it's primarily a sports show, but I think he gets into some really important mm-hmm. things there, Aubrey, that 
that we talk about this often from social media. He talks about you walk around outside, you see people taking pictures yes. and then editing it. Yes. But, like from social media to the uh, the the uh, Amazon has allowed us. Like I said, I get my groceries yes. from Amazon. It allows you to no longer go to the store. You don't have to leave your home essentially In some anymore. Ways, it's true. And so Levitard's point, I think, is a good one for us to wrestle with that technology and the connectiveness, but also the ease of it has mm-hmm. made us a lonelier culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of times we hang it on like the pandemic and stuff. That's what uh, I was just thinking. You don't think so? I don't think so. Like, I don't think once this pandemic's done, if it's ever done, I yeah. don't think we're going to go back to like going and, you know, going to the mall to right. go get our, our, right. our stuff. I think he's on to something here. And it's a really big deal. I think there's a loneliness that that is in, increasingly kind of a part, and then he makes the funny point, and there's one guy who's getting rich off of it. <laughs> I would suggest there's lots of people sure, getting rich sure. off of it. Streaming but, services are getting rich. Right, right. Target's getting rich. But, yeah, but I do think he he in a funny way gets at a really interesting point here that convenience has come at a cost for us, and that cost very well might be interpersonal connection. And now we're pastors, we're dealing it with people who are going. Huh, maybe I'll just stay home and watch church. Right. And, you know, we'll That's do that. true, Brian. Convenience, I think, is having the uh, the uh, the effect of possibly alienating us and making us more lonely and more isolated mm. from people. And if that's true and only going to get worse, it's something we really need to, uh, I think it's something we as a culture will really need to deal with. Yeah, I, I mean, it's certainly an interesting conversation because I think the reality is, like you said, when I was even talking about the younger generation, this isn't necessarily going to go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is probably the reality of life from now on, at least in America, that we will increasingly have things available, you know, online at our doorstep. We won't have to leave our homes. And what do we do about that? I think one of the questions is, do we need to do something about that? I think most of us would agree that we do because of the isolation and depression and anxiety that it seems to be causing. But what do we do? We're not going to be able to necessarily change the entire tide of culture, but can we make intentional decisions to connect with other people, yeah. to be in church, embodied in community, to go to the grocery store, even when we don't feel like it, just to like make a connection with someone else. And maybe it's not only about us. Maybe this is a call for us to be mindful about other people that are feeling lonely and how just us coming across their path at the grocery store and giving them a smile can change the trajectory of someone's day. Like, let's be mindful that maybe it's our mission to serve other people yeah. by being in public as well, which is kind of a weird. We've never had to talk about this yeah. stuff before, but now we're we're going there. Yeah. And I think I think you make a great point. Like, do we even take steps? Here's the deal. If ease and comfort and convenience are of our highest value, if that's the highest value, then this is going to be a perpetual problem. Mm. Because here's the deal, Aubrey. You know what's not convenient? What's that? Friendships. <laughs> They're right. not convenient. You're right. You know what's sometimes not convenient? Working on your marriage. <laughs> so yeah. if convenience and, and, and those kind of things become of highest value, I think this will be an issue going forward. <laughs> Levitard's point, I think, is a funny one. And then we cheer as Jeff Bezos is shooting off, <laughs> shooting off into, space. into space. But yeah, I think you ask what stems this. You know, I don't want the Internet to go away. I don't want Amazon no, to go away. Right. I don't want things of convenience. But I just think we all need to look in the mirror and go, how am I not going to become isolated? Yes. How am I going to remain with some fruitful community in yes. my life while enjoying the fruits of convenience that the Internet brings me? Yeah, very interesting conversation. Well, coming 
Coming up next, we're going to ask the question, what are the top three virtues of Christianity and have a conversation about that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We hope you're having a fabulous Friday and looking forward to the weekend ahead. I'm excited. I know Brian is, too. Mm-hmm. Brian, I have a question for you. I'm ready. All right. This is kind of a tricky one. It's not a trick question, but it is kind of a tricky one to answer. How do you define virtue? That's a great question. I, Why, I thank would, you. Yes, I would define virtue as um, kind of the the positive things, the the things that uh, that make up a person, right? Like it's, uh, yeah. How would you define virtue? It, you know, even as I asked you that, I was like, it's it's. A, I feel like it's one of those words we use, although we don't really use it that often anymore. But we use it sort of knowing what it is, but not necessarily defining it. Right. I feel like a virtue is almost almost like a fruit of the spirit, like mm. good things about someone. There you go. But it feels like it's almost more than that because it's not just like, oh, they're nice. It's it's like the action that goes along with that That's good. characteristic. That's good. The, the dictionary, if I wanted a oh. dictionary, I would have gotten a dictionary. <laughs> the dictionary says... Uh, dictionary.com says a behavior showing a behavior showing high moral standards. So kind of what okay. we were saying. Okay. And, and I think what you're getting at is uh, we're going to read a tweet here in a second from Scott Saul's favorite friend of the show. One mm-hmm. of our favorite friends of the show, yep. pastor, author, uh, really good tweeter as well, uh, where he's going to quote Augustine to talk about what are the top three virtues of Christianity. So what are the moral things that you want to see in a Christian? What are the top three things, Right. Uh, You know, it might be, you know, um, self-sacrifice, forgiveness, love. Yeah, there you go. And and, and Saul's is going to ask this. uh, And so I'll just read it. The tweet from Saul says this one time, St. Augustine. Do you say Augustine or Augustine? So I have always said Augustine, Augustine, but Kevin keeps correcting me that it's Augustine. I think he's wrong. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to tell him you said that. Or we're both wrong. No, we're right, Brian. Augustine just rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. It does. It sounds more impressive. Like, I'm going to preach I'm Augustine. Right. Not Augustine. Exactly. (laughs) That person isn't right. They're not saying that right. So anyway, Augustine. (laughs) Yes. He was asked what he thought the top three virtues of Christianity were. Okay. So the person's ready. They're ready to write down. What are the... Okay. Augustine is going to tell me the top three virtues of Christianity. His answer was number one, humility. Mm -hmm. Number two... Saul's writes here, humility. Uh-oh. And number three, you guessed it, humility. Humility. So Augustine's point was the only virtue or the top by far virtue wow. that we as Christians need to have is humility. Wow. Do you agree? But unpack it a little bit. Why do you think Augustine and here Saul's uh-huh. by quoting Augustine would say, Humility is of the highest virtue, is of the highest order. I mean, your mind, when you hear humility, goes straight to Philippians 2, right? Mm -hmm. That description where Paul is calling us to have the same mind of Christ um, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I I guess I I feel like humility was probably Augustine's call because um, the opposite of humility is not being Christ-like, right? Then we're prideful. Then we're selfish. We're not sacrificial. We're not living a cruciform life. We're not um, modeling the way that Jesus lived. Mm-hmm. And so it does, in a lot of ways, it does make sense that he would go to humility as almost an umbrella 
for the other virtues, right? We love people when we're humble. We're kind to people when we're humble. We're gentle with people when we're humble. Like it sort of is that umbrella virtue that other things fall under. What it's interesting, like thinking about humility in light of, um, you know, something we talk about here on the show quite a bit is the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. That's right. And um, again, we don't, we don't talk about it here just to talk about the podcast, but to talk about various church leaders and lessons we can learn from them. And one of the things that's clear in that podcast is that Driscoll was maybe not a humble man. Mm. And that was part of his downfall. And so I think right now in a world where we are so bent on sort of celebrity culture and gaining platform and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, getting numbers, followers, the opposite of that is humility. So this is a radical call for such a time as this. What do you think about it, Brian? Yeah, I think you're right. And I also went to Philippians where it's telling us model after Jesus is humility, yeah. you know, of who uh, humbled himself to obedience and death on a cross. Yep. Uh, and I think you bringing up uh, the Mars Hill podcast is, is a good way to get at it because there was so much fruit going on there. There were so many good things. There was so much, you know, it was, there was so much buzz around mm-hmm. that church. And then the whole point of the podcast is why did it go away so quickly within a month, if not that yeah. after he left? And there's a lot of reasons, one of them being, uh, being built around like a cult of personality and other things. But I do think the lack of virtue of humility and character is one of the reasons that humility becomes that I think what, what Augustine's getting at is humility becomes the foundation upon which so many other things. And let's be honest. All right, let's just put it this way, Aubrey. If you are a Christ follower, mm-hmm. then you can't be proud. <laughs> right. Like if to be a Christ follower means to be one who follows Jesus, mm-hmm. then to be somebody who is at their core proud and not humble, that is the antithesis of Jesus. So this yeah. does begin to yeah. make sense. It's like saying I'm a Christ follower and I'm unloving or I refuse to forgive anybody or whatever else. But, but it, it, they don't go. That doesn't go hand in hand. Yep. Yeah. But but humility is more of like a overall character, right? Like there's not like I just do humble actions. You're either yeah. humble, you either have humility yeah. or you not. Let me or you do not. Let me ask you this. Do you think humility is something you can work on? I was literally just thinking that and was going to ask you that nope. same question. I think humility is something that the Lord Jesus Christ in his goodness can work on in you, mm. especially if you're willing. I think part of it is recognizing our own sinfulness, right? I am bent towards myself as a sinner. I am bent towards pride as a sinner. And therefore, Lord, you have to take this from me. I surrender it to you. You have to shape it in me. I do think it's a work of the Holy Spirit over our lifetimes in time that humility can be born in us, can grow in us. And we started this conversation by talking about virtue, some of the virtuous actions of humility can flow from us as well as the Holy Spirit does that in us. I think you're right. I think it's something that we should be praying for. Yeah, that's good. Like, I I can't, I almost just said, how many of you out there, when's the last time you prayed for humility? And then I've got to ask myself, when's the last time I prayed for humility? Like, (laughs) it's been a long time. But I do think it's also a fruit, right? Like, as I draw near to Jesus, Mm -hmm. as I am connected to the vine, to use the book of John, Mm -hmm. as I am... uh, growing in Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. I'm going to naturally become more humble. Yeah. Right. As I'm growing in Christ likeness, I'm not going to become more pride prideful Certainly or not. power hungry yeah. or yeah. any of this stuff. And so I do uh, I think it's something we can pray for. I do think I think you make a great point. It's not something we grow in by sheer willpower. Because yeah. what's 
what's the old thing? The first time that you say I'm really humble, that you're just showing that you're not, right? Like <laughs> right, there is a right. character issue. All right. I'm going to do something here. Okay, this might, here this we might go. really fail. Ah. I found a place that you can click on. St. Augustine. <gasps> Did you hear that? Augustine. Let's do that again. St. Augustine. Kevin's Saint right. Augustine. Can I just say Augustine anyway? I feel humbled. That was good for I us, Brian. Hum- we needed Samson. that. I'm sorry. We I besmirched that, your name. Uh, <laughs> apparently he was right. I still think Augustine works better. St. Augustine. St. Augustine. I know. We needed that humility, though. This I was a good This was a good real-life lesson for I'm us. I'm going to stop quoting him. I'm going straight to the other names <laughs> that sound more, you know. <laughs> you can just <laughs> roll off Augustine. the tongue a little so bit anyway, easier. The virtue of humility, humility is a huge one. Humility, humility, We need to hear it three times in order to get it. I really like that. Well, coming up next, we're going to share some good news from one of our favorite places on the Internet, Brian, the Good News Network. I'm excited about that. So stick around for that conversation. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody welcome back on this friday afternoon i am aubrey sampson alongside my co-host brian Fromm, and you're listening to the common good where we take a look at news from a biblical perspective and we share lots of hope for you speaking of that we're going to do one of our favorite things here on this friday afternoon as we send you into the weekend we're going to share some of the stories from one of our favorite places on the internet the good news mm-hmm. network brian do you have any of those stories you want to share with us blind for 15 years she now has 2020 vision and sees her grandchildren for the first time a woman left blind for 15 years has finally regained her sight after a life-changing operation doctors believed 59 year old connie had glaucoma when she rapidly began to lose her eyesight over a decade ago. But then an ophthalmologist diagnosed cataracts in 2018, one of the most common and treatable adult vision issues. Connie, who lives in Colorado, began noticing halos way back in 2003. Three Hmm. weeks later, she lost even more sight and peripheral vision. And so it just kept going. They believed her vision was inoperable. She went blind. Uh, but they kept, you know, she kept living her life. But now they figured out that what was going on with her, they can uh, they can take care of. And she now has 20, 20. That vision. is awesome. And the part that makes you just tear up is now she can see her grandkids. Oh, I love that. That's a good news story right there. OK, here's one that I'm not so sure about, Brian. But if it's true, it's very cool news. You ready for this I one? Am. A historian believes the Holy Grail and the Lost Ark of the Covenant Maybe hidden under this house in English countryside. Okay, what do you think about that before I read it? I saw Indiana Jones, and that's not where it was. <laughs> it wasn't there. This actually says this. A real-life Indiana Jones believes he may have found the secret location of the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant under a house in Staffordshire. Staffordshire. Stafford, no, you don't say shire in England. You okay. just say sure. I know these things. You're so sure. Okay. <laughs> Historian and anthropologist David Adkins is convinced that priceless treasures, which were taken from Jerusalem in 1307, were stashed beneath Sinai Park House in Burton-on-Trent. He claims to have uncovered links between the property and the Knights Templar. It's always the Knights Templar <laughs> who concealed the mythical Ark and Grail centuries ago. Mythical. We believe as Christians that these items are real. But, the, well, we don't know that... The grail would be the cup where, you know, Jesus did the first of the mm-hmm. first communion. We don't know if actually that cup was saved or not. Um, David is now hoping to search the labyrinth of tunnels beneath the 14th century house to prove the Holy Grail was hidden there. He says, I've been searching it for 34 years. 
So I've really got a complete history of the place. I've looked into the archives that no one has touched before. There were many pointers that when the Knights Templar left La Rochelle in 1307, they had a treasure. We don't know what that treasure is, but obviously this is what this historian is thinking. That's interesting. We'll see what happens there. Do you remember when we were kids and Geraldo Rivera did that big thing where they unco- they took Al Capone's tomb, they <gasps> opened it, yes. and it was supposed to have all this treasure and, and it there was nothing, nothing in, in there. Yes. It kind of feels like what's going to happen I, with this. I feel like that's probably I accurate. hope I'm wrong. That would be pretty cool. That would be but- cool. All right, this one. This repair shop is on a mission to fix our throwaway culture. The urge for most of us is to throw something away, even if it means we have to buy a new one for more money, as it's often easier than finding a store that will fix it, taking it there, then going out later, picking it back up, all with the chance that it might break again in the future. But the residents of one Glasgow neighborhood are taking on that important responsibility. After a mend and repair shop opened in Govan Hill neighborhood, hundreds of residents began bringing broken electronics and clothes to be repaired, resisting the urge to rid themselves of the problem by going on Amazon and getting a new one. Uh, Discussed we were just earlier. talking about that. The shop is called Remade, and it's looking to change the way Britain consumes. Hmm. A team of technicians, repairmen, and tailors work not out of charity, but as part of what the BBC described as a thriving business fixing every imaginable gadget, Home appliance, lawn machine, garment, jewelry, and even Christmas ornaments. That is so cool. So, are, would you? Are you the type who's like, no, I want to fix this? Or are you like, nope, let's just discard that and move on to the next? Uh, no, I want a new thing. I mean, unless it's special and nostalgic for me, I just I want it done. Okay, one and done. What about you? I will see. I. Be interesting with a shop like this because I'd want to know is it cost more for me? I don't want to pay more to fix it than Ultimately, I do right, to do this. Right. Also, I just have such an inability to fix things that my natural bent is like that's just done. replace Here it. We go. Get a new one. Yep. yep. Okay, this one is a very cool story, and there's some audio for this. So there's a new partnership with police in Colorado. They're putting smiles on the faces of motorists who might not have the money to fix a broken part on their vehicle. An advanced auto parts store has gifted the Denver Police Department with 100 gift cards, worth $25 each, to hand out to drivers who are normally pulled over by cops and given a warning or a ticket to pay a fine. So they get pulled over, and instead of getting a ticket, they get this gift card. Let's go ahead and listen to that story. Uh, We are very much looking forward uh, to this. Uh, We've done this uh, already. One of our traffic officers has has, uh, pulled some folks over to give them uh, warnings on defective vehicles, handed them a card instead of a ticket, and the smile uh, that these folks have is not only the motorists but also the officers. So uh, Advanced Auto Parts donation not only helps us help get greater compliance with the motoring public, but it also helps us build and strengthen relationships with our community. So isn't that fun? They pull a motorist over for a bad headlight or a a defective taillight, and instead of giving them a ticket, they're like, here's a $25 gift card, go get it fixed. I love that. Am I just overly cynical today? Because the first was the Indiana Jones story guy. But you then don't this think one, this is true? No, no. I do think it's true, and I think it's a really worthy and a good thing. But I, I haven't been to many auto repair places where twenty five bucks fixed my problem. Well, that's 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 fair. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly but it's, a start. It, it's a start. It certainly is a way to get on. people into the auto parts. There store. you go. Yeah. Last one. These students built an epic baby stroller for a new dad in a wheelchair. Oh, this come is on. a picture you need to see. Oh, yeah. Of school kids made a special wheelchair stroller so a disabled dad can take his newborn son out for a walk. 37-year-old Jeremy King has impaired mobility following an operation to remove a brain tumor in 2017. 
He was concerned how he would manage to help his expecting wife, Chelsea, after she gave birth. Chelsea's a teacher, and the students helped figure it out. And the picture, Aubrey, is basically... The picture is awesome. He's in a wheelchair, and they made like a part sticking out of the front of the wheelchair, like in a stroller where you could put then... Uh, a car seat with the baby in it. I think this is awesome. And yet it's another story of people, kids at this time going, hey, we're going to do something for somebody. Awesome story. Yeah, very encouraging story. Are you cynical about that one, Brian? No, I'm okay, all good you're on that one. for that one. Well, I'm all in. we hope you have an amazing weekend. Brian, you have any good plans over the weekend? I just, it's lots of family time this weekend. Love really it. excited for it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. We are hopefully headed out of town for the weekend. We're have trying fun. to decide if we're going, but should be a great weekend. We hope you have a fabulous one. We hope you have been encouraged by these Good News Network stories from the goodnewsnetwork.org. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you have an amazing weekend, and we hope you join us again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.